help us to be able to look at this passage, to learn from it, and Lord, that we could grow and, and be challenged through it. In your precious name I pray, amen. All right, well, we're there in Judges chapter number 4, and um, as we begin, as we've been going through the book of Judges, you remember last week, we talked about the first three Judges, found in Judges chapter number 3. We looked at three lessons from the three Judges, and as we continue through the book of Judges, we are now coming up to the fourth Judge in the fourth chapter of the book of Judges, and this is, uh, like we uh, <coughs> mentioned this morning, <coughs> excuse me, I got Something, I feel like I had something stuck in my throat. But we come to this fourth judge, and we're saying this morning how this is kind of a controversial judge, because it's the only female judge in the book of Judges, and it's this woman by the name of uh, Deborah. Deborah the prophetess, and Deborah the judge. Now, as we get into the text this morning, I want you to notice the context of the story. It's a context that we're very familiar with. We've dealt a lot with it as we've been going through the beginning of the book of Judges. But if you look at verse 1, God again lets us know, And the children of Israel, notice this word, again, do you see that? And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. So again, when their judge died, they went back to their sin, they went back to their old lifestyle. Look at verse 2. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigneth in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera. So they got sold, and you got to understand this so you get the story. They got sold to this king, Jabin, king of Canaan, but the captain of the host was this man by the name of Sisera. Sisera would be like the general of the army for this king, Caban, look at the last part of verse 2, which dwelt in Harosheth of the Gentiles, verse 3. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, same pattern we've been seeing throughout the book of Judges, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily, notice that word mightily there, he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. So context we've seen before. They get away from God, God brings them under oppression, they cry out to God, God brings them a deliverer, usually uh, it's a judge, usually it's a male judge, but in this chapter, we find something very interesting, because if you look at verse 4, the Bible says, And Deborah, which is a female name, a prophetess, and just to make sure we understand it's a woman, it says, The wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. Now, again, this is a controversial, you say, why is this so controversial? Here's why. Many, many... Uh, Preachers and, and pastors and, and people who believe in women preachers. Do you understand what I mean by that? There are uh, there are certain groups of Christianity who say, well, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a woman preacher. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a, a, a female pastor and having a you know a woman get up and speak and, and teach and, and lead. You know, uh, I think one of the most famous women preachers out there right now is a woman by the name of Joyce Myers, very well known uh, woman uh, preacher. And I'm sure there's other ones out there. I just don't know what they are. But uh, uh, oftentimes those people say, well, there's nothing wrong with having a woman preacher. They'll point you back to Judges chapter 4 and they'll say, well, look, uh, there was a, a judge there who was a woman by the name of Deborah. Now, we're going to get into this and we're going to go pretty deep, so I need you to stick with me. But I want to, I want to uh, teach you something and explain something to you. And I want to show you an illustration of that. Keep your finger there in Judges, but go with me to the book of Genesis, okay? Genesis uh, chapter number... Uh, let's see, I think Genesis chapter number 2 is where I want you to go. In Genesis chapter number 2, Genesis chapter number 2, and I, I, want, you to, I want you to understand something, okay, just as, as we get into this, and for you to really grasp what we're talking about, you need to grasp this concept. I'm going to help you when it comes to Bible study. Okay, you got to understand this. The Bible is made up of, of two different sections. Okay, and I'm not talking about the Old and the New Testament, but primarily there are stories in the Bible. All right, 
uh, a lot in the Old Testament, a lot in the New Testament. And those stories have spiritual applications. They can be used as examples or examples. This morning, the entire sermon was just preaching through different Old Testament stories, taking out the spiritual application there. Uh, uh, Lot did not have a physical television he was watching, but we can see the comparison there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so there are stories in the Bible that we can, they're there for us to read it, for us to understand it, for us to grasp it. But then there are also statements in the Bible. Alright? I remember one of the best sermons I ever heard was I, I was a, a I was just a teenager when we were going to church in Orangevale and we had a guest preacher come in and he preached a sermon entitled Statement Versus Stories. And, and when he preached that sermon, he just revolutionized the way that I thought about the Bible because here's what you got to understand. There are stories in the Bible and we can use those stories to learn from them, but there are also statements in the Bible that God gives us clear statements in Scripture. And here's what you got to understand. A statement always outranks a story. When God specifically says something, that has more value than if you read a story. You say, what are you talking about? Let me give you an example that maybe we can all understand. There are those who believe, uh, you know, primarily the, the Mormons, and it's more of the radical type Mormons, but there are those who, who, who believe, and throughout history, there have been those who say, well, it's okay for men to have multiple wives. They're called polygamists. And Mormons even today say, it's okay for a man to have multiple wives. And you say, well, well, why, why do you think it's okay for a man to have multiple wives? And they'll say, well, well David had multiple wives. And, and they'll point at people in the Bible, Jacob had multiple wives. And they'll point at stories in Scripture where people had multiple wives. And it's true, those men did have multiple wives. But are you there in Genesis chapter number 2? Look at verse 24. The Bible says, now this is, a, this is a, a clear statement in Scripture. The Bible says, Therefore shall a man, okay, so you got one individual, leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wives. Is that what it says? No, it says wife, singular. Now notice, and they shall be one flesh. When Jesus Christ quoted this verse in the Old Testament, He actually said, and they twain shall be one flesh. So He said, two will come together and become one. So here's what you got to understand. A clear passage in Scripture says that marriage is one man and one woman coming together and becoming one flesh. That outranks any story in the Bible of anybody having multiple wives. You understand what I'm saying? So when somebody says, well, it's okay to have multiple wives because David had multiple wives, we should say the Bible clearly states for us that a man should have one wife. Alright? It doesn't matter what they did in the Bible because the Bible takes a historical account for us. It tells us what people did. But just because someone did something doesn't make it right. You understand what I'm saying? So just because someone had multiple wives doesn't mean it was right for them to have multiple wives. But when the Bible says one man, one woman equals marriage, they become one flesh, that's a clear statement in Scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Go with me to the book of 2 Timothy in the Bible. 2 Timothy, uh, actually 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy, we're looking at some very familiar passages uh, tonight, but I, I, I want you to see this so you understand what we're talking about. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And actually, when you find 1 Timothy 2, I want you to uh, go back to the book of Judges so we can look at something real quickly. Judges chapter number 4. Let me just show you something. I want to... There are, there are two main... There, well, really, there are three main characters in the story. It is Deborah, it is Barak, and it is a woman by the name of Jael. We'll probably deal more with Jael uh, next Sunday night when we're in Judges chapter number 5. But today I want to deal with these two characters of Deborah and uh, Barak. Alright, so are you, you, got, you should have a finger there in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And go back to Judges chapter 4. Let me show you something. Look at verse number 1. I want you to notice there was two positions that Deborah was given in the book of Judges. Alright, in this story. Look at verse 1. It says, Deborah a prophetess. Do you see that? Deborah a prophetess. So I, number 1, want to show you Deborah as a prophetess. Now remember... A statement outranks a story. A clear statement in Scripture should be taken as more authoritative 
Then a story that, well, someone did this, so it must be right. Now you're there, uh, go back, go to 1 Timothy chapter number 2, look at verse number 11. Let me show you a very clear statement in Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter number 2, look at verse number 11. The Bible says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. The word subjection means she is to submit herself to uh, her authority, to her husband. There are many verses in Scripture we can go through them, but we won't take the time. It says, Let a woman learn in, I want you to make note of this word, silence. Now what I'm going to say to you right now, I'm reading straight out of the Bible, but this is one of the most controversial things that uh, people think like, I can't believe you say that. But the Bible says, Let a woman learn in silence with all subjection. Look at verse 12. But I suffer. Now the word suffer means allow or permit. So Paul said, but I suffer or I allow, I permit. Notice, not. Do you see that? He says, but I suffer not a woman to teach. Do you see that? Paul said, I do not allow, I do not permit, I do not suffer a woman to teach. We'll get back to this phrase later. Nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in, what's that next word? Silence. For Adam was first formed then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, I just read for you a very clear statement of Scripture that the Bible says that a woman is to stay in silence. A woman is not to teach. Now, keep your finger or your bulletin or something in 1 Timothy because we're going to come back to it, okay? But I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. You want to travel back towards the beginning of your New Testament. 1 Corinthians, after you get uh, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and the book of Romans, look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 and look at verse number 34. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 and look at verse number 34. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 34, the Bible says, Let your women keep silence in the churches. Do you see that? For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Look at verse 35. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame... For it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Do you see that? Now you got to understand the context from which we're talking about is the fact that God says a woman is never to stand behind a pulpit and publicly teach or preach. Now we are not saying that a woman, you know, uh, can't, you know, as soon as you walk through the door, a woman can't say anything. How are you doing, ma'am? That's not what we're talking about at all, okay? Obviously, you can say hello. We're talking about the fact that a woman should stand up and preach and teach the Bible. And the primary reason that a woman should never teach the Bible is because the Bible says they are not permitted to teach or to usurp the authority over men. Now, that's what the Bible says. Did you keep your finger there in First Timothy? Go, go to Titus. Titus is right after First uh, and Second Timothy. Titus... I don't know what happened. My shoe lays. My shoe came untied. I'm gonna trip over it. First uh, Timothy. You kept your finger in First Timothy, right? Go to Titus. Titus right after First and Second Timothy. Go to Titus, chapter number three. Now let me show you something. Okay, women are not to teach in the church because they are not to usurp authority over the man. But women, I will show you this, are allowed to teach other women. Some people, sometimes people take the stand, and, and I, you know, it's fine. I don't care what other people do. People take the stand. Women are allowed to teach anybody. Well, I mean, I, I, would, I would argue that because the Bible says, are you there in Titus chapter number 2? Look at verse 3. The aged women, do you see that? Likewise, and, and the word aged is referring to their age, they're mature. But it's, you know, we know from Timothy that we can also be a spiritual maturity. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things. you see that? So they can teach good things. But wait a minute. Well, well, I think the ancient woman should stand up behind the pulpit on a Sunday morning. She should no, no, wait a minute. Look at verse 4. That they may teach. Who are they supposed to teach? The young women. Do you see that? So who's a, 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 an aged woman it should be a teacher of good things. But who is she to teach? That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Okay? So a woman can definitely teach other women. But according to the Bible, she is not to stand up and publicly teach the Bible. That's what the Bible says. Go, to, go, back, go, go back to 1 Timothy real quickly. 1 Timothy. 
Chapter number 2. Well, I think that, I, you know, I, Joe, I like Joyce Myers. I watch her on TV. Look, let me tell you something. Joyce Myers is, her ministry is going against a clear statement in Scripture. Because the Bible says a woman should not teach. In, in fact, she should keep silence. It says that a woman should never speak in, in the church. And, and the church is not a building. The church is a congregation. That's what the Bible says. I don't understand where these women preachers get that idea. You know, uh, if I was going to listen to a woman preacher, I'd ask her to preach an expository sermon uh, through the book of 1 Timothy. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd ask her to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of 1 Timothy. Because when she got to 1 Timothy chapter number 2, she might quit her ministry. When she got to 1 Timothy chapter 3, look, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here you find the qualifications of a pastor. Let me show you the qualifications of a bishop. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires the good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife. The Bible says that a bishop has to be the husband of one wife. Let me ask you a question, Joyce Myers. How are you the husband of one wife? Well, I'm the wife of a husband. That's not what it says. It doesn't say to be married. It says to be the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, after tea. So we got to understand this. There are clear statements in Scripture. Now you say, are you a woman? You, you, do you hate women? Are you a male? So look, I, 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 women are great. I'm married to a woman. My, my mom is a woman. <laughs> okay? There, uh, my sister's a woman. Okay? I don't have anything against women. But God said that women are not to teach in the church. That's what He said. A clear statement. So, if you're going to say, well, I know that the Bible says that women are not to teach, but here's the thing. There's a story in the Old Testament of this woman, and she was a teacher, and she was a prophet. You're already started wrong. Because the clear statement goes against the story in Scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, here's what you're going to understand. The Bible says that Deborah was a prophetess. There are multiple prophetesses in Scripture. Let, let's go through them real quickly because I want to show you a few things, okay? Go to Exodus chapter 15. Deborah was a prophetess. So let's look at this, this position of being a prophetess. Let's go through it quickly. Uh, Exodus, you can find Exodus quickly. Genesis, Exodus. Second book in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 15. There are multiple prophetesses in Scripture. Exodus chapter 15. Verse 20. The Bible says, and Miriam. Remember Miriam? She was the sister of Moses. And Miriam, the prophetess, you see that? The sister of Aaron took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. Okay? So here you got Miriam the prophetess, and she's going... But who is she ministering to? Look what it says. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand and, notice what it says, all the, what? Women. Are there any men there? No, there are not. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances, and Miriam answered them. Who's that them referring to? All the women. Who's she talking to? All the women. Sing ye to the Lord. For he had triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider had he thrown into the sea. Here's the thing. The children of Israel just crossed the Red Sea. God just parted the Red Sea. They crossed through and they got on the other side. He delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. And when they got on the other side, Miriam got all the women together and said, Hey, let's have a ladies activity. And they got together and they started dancing and praising the Lord. And by the way, it wasn't the dancing like what you think. It, you know, it wasn't this sensual dancing that people have today. There was no men there. But they started having themselves a little... Praise the Lord session. And she was there, but who was she ministering to? Other women. Was Moses around? No, he was not. Was Aaron around? No, he was not. Were there any other men around? No, they were not. Just just women. I don't really care what you women do at the ladies' activity. I'm not going to be there. I'm going to take my boys and go to Chick-fil-A. You know what I mean? Or go somewhere else. There's other, you say, well, are women not? No, the aged women are supposed to teach the younger women. There's nothing wrong with a woman teaching another woman. I love God, I love her husband, I love her kids. But she's not supposed to stand up and teach before the church. So you you got a prophetess, but look, Miriam was not a bad prophetess. This is a good account of Miriam. The second prophetess you find in the Bible is Deborah, which we're dealing with. Go to 2 Kings. Let me show you the third prophet. 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter number 22. 2 Kings chapter number 22. Look at verse 14. 2 Kings chapter number 22. Verse 14, 2 Kings 22, 14. The Bible says, 
2 Kings 22.14. So Hilkiah, the priest, okay, that's the preacher, that's the, the man of God, the guy that's supposed to be uh, leading them spiritually. So Hilkiah, the priest, and Ahikam, and Akbor, and Shaphan, and Asaiah, okay, those are all men, alright? Now you got to understand, just so you get the context here. The children of Israel have for a long, long time not had the Word of God. Do you understand? They lost the Bible for a long time. Can you believe that? Can you believe if you came to church for years and we said, well, we've misplaced the Bible. We don't know where it's at. They didn't have it. Okay, now, and we understand that in those days, the Bible was not common like you and I. They couldn't just run down to the 99 cent store and buy a King James Version. <coughs> Excuse me. But they didn't have the Word of God. And the king sent for the people to go rebuild the temple and to clean up the temple. They had a work day. And as they were going there and cleaning up the, the house of God, guess what they found? The Word of God. And they started reading it. And they started realizing that they were doing a whole lot of things that were wrong. Guess what, guess what happens when you start reading the Bible? You start realizing there are a lot of things you're doing that are wrong. That's what happened in the, in the Bible. And these people did not know what to do, so they decided we better go ask the prophetess. Now, let me ask you something. Does it sound like it's a very spiritual, like, does it sound like it's a good place in life when you, have, when you haven't had the Word of God for a long time? It's not a good place for their society. Now look at verse 14. So Hokiah the priest, that's the preacher. That's the spiritual leader. And Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asahiah went unto Huldah, that's a woman, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Of course, a woman would be close to the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, so they got a college, they got a Bible college, but they got no Bible. Sounds like most of the Bible colleges today. <laughs> and they communed with her. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me. So here's the problem. You got a prophetess. You know, she's hanging out at the wardrobe. She's teaching at the Bible college. They don't have the Bible. They come to the Bible. Now what's the problem? Is, is, is Huldah a good prophetess or a bad prophetess? She's a bad prophetess. Why? Because you've got men going and asking her to teach them the Bible. It's turned around. Remember we read it? If a woman wants to ask, learn who she's supposed to ask, her husband. Not the husband asking the wife, that's backwards. The man should be the spiritual leader. So you got Huldah, who's ministering to men. Not good. You got Miriam ministering to women. That's fine. Go to Nehemiah chapter number 6. Nehemiah chapter number 6. Nehemiah chapter number 6. <clears throat> Nehemiah, right before the book of Esther, right after the book of Ezra, Nehemiah chapter number 6. Look at verse 14. Let me show you another prophetess. Nehemiah chapter number 6, look at verse 14. My God, think thou upon Tobiah. Now, just so you understand the context, Nehemiah is a good guy. Tobiah and Sambalat are the bad guys. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these their works, and on the prophetess ne uh, Noadiah, the rest of the prophets, that would have put me in fear. So here you got Nehemiah calling out by name two political leaders, a prophetess and the rest of the prophets, and you're saying, these people were trying to discourage me, these people were trying to put me in fear. So here you got, again, a woman prophetess, Trying to discourage the man of God, Nehemiah, the man that has the power of God in his life, the man that God chose to lead the people. She's trying to discourage him. So here you got a woman trying to teach a man and tell a man he's doing something wrong. Here's what this woman's trying to do. Usurp the authority of Nehemiah. And of course, Nehemiah knew the Bible well enough to say, I'm not going to listen to her. And he said, she put me in fear and he's praying about it. So do we have a good prophet is there or a bad prophet? She's trying to usurp the authority of a man. A bad prophet. Miriam was fine. Dealing with the women. Huldah was not fine. Dealing with the men. Noadiah was not fine. Dealing with the men. Go to Isaiah chapter number 8. 
Isaiah chapter number 8. I just want to show you these. We'll, we'll try to move through them quickly and, and get to something else. But I want, I want you to see this. Isaiah chapter number 8. In Isaiah chapter number 8, you find the fifth prophet is mentioned in Scripture. And you know, I didn't... I meant to do this and I didn't, I didn't look it up, so I'm just going off the top of my head. I don't think that the, her name is ever actually given, but I may be wrong about that. Her name may be given elsewhere in the Bible. I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't look that up. I meant to look that up, but I didn't, so I apologize. But I don't think her name is given. Um, Isaiah chapter number 8, look at verse number 3. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. Here you got Isaiah. Does, does, does Isaiah sound to you like he was probably a good, a good prophet? I think, I think Isaiah was probably a good prophet. Notice what he said, verse 3. And I went unto the prophetess, okay, and she conceived and bare a son. So, Isaiah the prophet was married to a prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, call his name Mehor Shal al-Hashbat. Alright, so here we got a reference to a prophetess, but we don't have any other references of her doing anything wrong, So we can, and she's married to Isaiah, so we can assume that she's probably a good prophet. We don't have any record of her trying to teach uh, a man or doing anything like that. Alright, go to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter number 2. Let me show you the sixth prophetess found in Scripture. Luke chapter number 2. Look at verse number 36. Luke chapter number 2, verse number 36. The Bible says, And there was one, Anna, a prophetess. Do you see that? So here we got another prophetess. The daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age, and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. Okay, so she got married as a virgin. She lived with her husband seven years, verse 37. And she was a widow... About four score, that's 80, and four years. Okay, so she'd been married for seven years. Her husband died at the seven-year mark. And then she'd been a widow. She'd been single for, for 84 years. That's a long time. What'd she do for 84, de- for, for 84 years? She threw a pity party for herself? No, look what she did. Which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And it'd be nice to have someone around like that. Someone just, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna devote my life to being around church. I'm just gonna fast and pray for the church, for, for God's power. That, that'd be good. That'd be pretty good. Look at verse 38. And she coming in that instant, this is by the way when the Lord Jesus Christ was being presented as a baby, he was being presented at the temple. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to all men that looked for redemption in, in Jerusalem. Okay, so here you got Anna the prophetess. She's a good prophetess. She's a good woman. She's fasting and praying. She's been serving God for 84 years. She just decided, I'm going to devote my life to God. My husband died. I'm just going to give myself completely to God. This is a good woman. Now, now I want to show you something, okay? Look at the last part of verse 38. She spake of Him to all. All Alright? Is that women only? That's men and women. She spake of Him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. So she went around and she said, Anyone I can talk to, male or female, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus Christ. You know what this woman was doing? She was soul winning. I, I, I'm a woman preacher and I want to stand up. I want to preach to men. You want to preach to men? Come on, soul winning with us. Let's go knock on some door. You can preach to men all day long. The only time that a woman is allowed to preach or teach to a man is when she's given him the gospel in soul winning. But not to stand up behind the pulpit and teach and preach the Bible. Let me show you a verse about that. Go to Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. You got this prophetess, but she was a soul winner. She was preaching to men the gospel. She was getting people saved all day long. Philippians chapter number 4. Let me, tell you, let me show you something. You know, sometimes women get this idea. Well, I'm not, the man is supposed to go out sowing. The pastor is supposed to go out sowing. No, everyone is supposed to go out sowing. The Bible says, Go ye, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel. Are you there in Philippians chapter number 4? Look at verse 3. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. The Apostle Paul said, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the nursery. Is that what it says? What did he say? Those women that labored with me in the gospel. Paul said, man, those women, they got, 
They got with me and we went out sowing. He said, the men went sowing, the women went sowing, the women were out there knocking on doors. They labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Paul said, hey, man, those women, they worked. They labored with me in preaching the gospel. We had Anna there, the prophetess who labored and she spake of him to all. To all. That's what the Bible said. Now, was she preaching man at pulpit? Was she going to, to stadiums and bringing in huge crowds and, and doing seminars? No, she was just soul winning. She was just being faithful. Go to Acts chapter number 21. Acts chapter number 21. Look at verse 8. Let me show you the seventh reference to prophetesses in Scripture. Acts chapter 21. Look at verse 8. Acts 21 verse 8. The Bible says, The next day, we that were at Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip. You remember Philip? Philip had great revivals in Samaria. Remember Philip? Philip baptized the eunuch. Philip did many great things. Philip was one of the seven. And had the power of God upon his life. Here he's referred to as the evangelist, which means he's a soul winner. An evangelist is someone who's preaching the, 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 the word gospel. If you, if you speak Spanish, you know the word gospel in Spanish is evangelio. And the evangelist is the one who's preaching the evangelio, or the gospel. He's a soul winner. Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven. Remember the seven that were chosen? And abode with him. Look at verse 9. And the same, talking about Philip, the same man had four daughters. So he had four daughters. They're virgins, which did what? Prophesy. You see that? Now let me prove to you, okay, that these girls were not going around teaching men. Okay? Because Paul goes to Philip's house. And God decides that he has a message for the Apostle Paul. And God says, I need a prophet to give Paul my message. Now Paul is, is staying in a house where there's four prophetesses. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are four girls there, virgin girls, who prophesy. But notice, when God needs to get a message to Paul, who does he send? Look at verse 11. And when he was come unto us... I'm sorry, verse 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea, look what it says, a certain prophet, male, named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. But here's what I want you to understand from this. God had a message for Paul. Paul is in a house with four women who prophesy, but God says, no, I'm going to send down a prophet from Judea. I'm going to send down a man to give a message to Paul because a woman should not teach a man the Bible. So instead of God saying, God, you know, well, it would be more convenient if you use these women to just tell God, to just tell Paul your message. God said, no, I'm going to send a man to tell Paul my message. Because women should minister to women. They should not minister to men. That's what the Bible says. Amen. Go to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. Let me show you the 8th example of a prophetess in the Bible. So Philip's daughters, those were good prophetesses. Because they weren't, they weren't uh, messing with Paul. They said, we're not here to minister to Paul, we're here to minister to other women. Miriam was a good prophetess, why? Because she was ministering to other women. These other women are trying to usurp the authority of a man. Those are not good prophetesses in Scripture. Let me show you one more. Revelation chapter number 2, look at verse 20. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. The Bible says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the church. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. What does he have against them? Because thou sufferest. Remember we saw that word earlier? What did Paul say? He says, I suffer not a woman to teach. Right? Now notice, you can't, you can't deny the similarities in wording here. He says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because, he says, this is what I have against thee, because thou sufferest. Remember what the word sufferest means? It means to permit. It means to allow. God says, I have something against you, because you are permitting, because you are allowing, because thou sufferest. That woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things, sacrifices, and idols. God said, I've got a problem with you because you've got a woman, a Jezebel there. And if you know the Bible, Jezebel is not a good name to be called. 
He says, you got some Jezebel who thinks she's a prophetess, she's calling herself a prophetess, and she's teaching my servants and seducing them to commit fornication. God says, I have an issue with you. Here's what I want you to understand. There's nothing wrong with being a prophetess. There's something wrong with being a prophetess who wants to usurp the authority of a man. Because a clear statement in Scripture was this, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man. That's what the Bible said. Now look, I understand what I'm saying right now is not popular. I understand what I'm saying right now would split most churches. But that's what the Bible says. And we have to decide, do we believe the Word of God or not? Now, you got to understand, the Bible says there is neither male nor female in Christ. Go back to Judges chapter 4. you got to understand, we're not saying men are better than women, women are better than men. We're not saying that at all. All we're saying is this, God created men to do certain things. God created women to do certain things. They've got different roles. One's not better than the other one. It just means that they're supposed to do different things. I can't have children. But a woman can. Praise God. <laughs> I don't want to have children. But you know, a, a, a woman can have a patience with a child and train a child that a man cannot do. These stay-at-home dads are not giving the best uh, opportunity to their children because God built women to be able to care for children in a way that men can. Does that make a man worthless? Does that make it that a man's not as good as women? It just means they have different roles. I heard somebody say, put it like this, I thought it was pretty good. You got a dishwasher in your house and you got a, a washing machine in your house. Which one's better than the other? They're just different. They do different things. You put your dirty laundry in the dishwasher, it's not going to do a good job. You put your dishes in the, in the washing machine, it's probably going to break them. Why? Because the washing machine is not designed to wash dishes. And the dishwasher is not designed to clean clothes. But when you put dirty clothes in the washing machine and you put dirty uh, plates in the dishwasher, guess what? They'll do their roles pretty well. It's not that one's better than the other ones, that they're built to do different things. And it's not that men are better than women or women are better than men. It's that God has created them different to do different things. And one thing that God said is that a woman is not to teach in the church. Go back to Judges chapter number 4. We saw Deborah the prophetess. But I want you to notice another example. Judges chapter number 4. Look at verse number 4. And Deborah the prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, okay, so is it necessarily a bad thing that she's a prophetess? It's only a bad thing that she's a prophetess if she's usurping the authority of a man. If she's ministering to women, totally fine. Miriam did it. Uh, Philip's daughters did it. It's fine. Now, but I want you to notice, not only was Deborah a prophetess, Deborah was also a judge. Look at verse 4. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, notice what it says, she judged Israel at that time. Now, in, in, in the days of the judges, what they had, they did not have a king, they did not have uh, a captain, they did not have uh, men like Moses or Joshua. They had these judges that led the people, they were the leader of the people. And what they would do is whenever they had a problem, they would come to the judge, and the judge would judge between them. They didn't have an executive branch, they had the Bible. They didn't have a legislative branch, because they had the Bible. But they had judges that were there to judge between the people. You, say, you gotta not judge people today. Well, you got an entire book of judges that's all about judging people. <laughs> so that's gonna uh, put some problems in your opinion there. But these people were supposed to come to the judge, okay? So the judge, here's what you gotta understand, alright? Women could be a prophetess if they had a private ministry. What I mean by that is they did not speak publicly. They privately ministered to other women. But they were not to have a public ministry because they're not to teach other men. However, the Bible says that she was not just a prophetess. The Bible says she was a judge. So what that means was that she was the actual leader of the nation. You understand what I'm saying? She was the one running the show. She was the one giving the orders. They had an issue, they would come to Deborah and say, Deborah, what do you want us to do? And she'd say, well, and she'd judge between the matter. Well, you do this and you do that. She's running the show. You say, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Go back, did you keep your place there in 2 Timothy? Go back to 2 Timothy, just real quick. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Look at verse 12. I want you to see it again. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Look at verse 12. 
Second Timothy chapter two verse twelve. I'm sorry, did I say Second Timothy? I'm at First Timothy. I apologize. First Timothy chapter two verse twelve. First Timothy chapter two verse twelve. But I suffer not a woman to teach. Okay, so I do not permit a woman to teach. Nor, he says, neither do I suffer, neither do I permit, neither do I allow a woman to usurp authority over the man. The word usurp means to hold, it means to have something that you do not have right to. Paul said, I do not allow a woman to have authority over the man. Let me tell you something. I don't care if you like it. I don't care if the world doesn't like it. I don't care if people, if our society, well, we live in a different society. The Bible says that women are to submit themselves in authority under their husband. Period. End of story. That's what the Bible says. I don't think you should say. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says to be instant, in season, out of season. Whether it's popular or not, whether people like it or not. And, 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 and let me tell you something. The honest truth is that any woman, honestly, whether she likes to admit it or not, wants a man to lead her. Wants a man to take the spiritual authority and say, you know, they may say, oh, I don't want, but every woman does, because the Bible says God built them that way. That's what the Bible says. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says that God built women, their desire shall be to their husband. They have a desire that they would be led. The sad part is that we've raised a whole lot of men that don't know how to lead. sad part is we've raised a whole lot of men in America that don't want to take the spiritual authority. They don't want to take the spiritual leadership. They don't want to take that responsibility that God gave them, and they allow their women to run them around. The Bible says it's wrong. They are not to usurp the authority. When a woman is running the show, she took authority that was not meant for her. So was it right for Deborah to judge over men? It was wrong. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? Go to the book of Isaiah. Let me show you something real quick. Isaiah, chapter number 3. Well, my husband just lays around. He doesn't do anything. So let me tell you something. You married him. You're stuck with him. The Bible says it is wrong to get a divorce. The Bible says it is wrong to separate. The Bible says God says, I hate putting away. God says, I hate divorce. If you married him, hey, to death do you part. You stood before God and you said, for better or worse. Well, I didn't know that it was going to be mostly worse. And you shouldn't have said it. But you stood before God and you made a promise. The Bible says, you know, you ought to pray. And here's what you're going to say. Your life... Your goal in life, husband, and your goal in life, wife, is not to try to make your wife to do what she's supposed to do. Well, I'm just going to make her submit. It's not to try to make, well, I'm going to make him do. Look, work on yourself. That's all you can do. Let God deal with the rest. But uh, let me show you this verse. Uh, Isaiah chapter 3, look at verse 12. Isaiah three twelve. Look what the Bible says. As for my people, look at that. I want you to see it. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, they which lead thee. Who's leading them? Children. Who's leading them? Women. You better believe there are, there are you know that there are houses where the kids run the show? You know there are houses where, where the kids call the shots? Mom's not in charge, dad's not in charge, those brats are in charge. There are houses where women call the shots. Dad does what mom says. That's not in charge, mom is. Look what the Bible says. For my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err. You know what the word err means? To error. They cause you to do wrong. And destroy the way of thy path. See, here's what you're going to understand. Having a woman in authority is actually a punishment from God. Having a woman in authority is actually the judgment of God. People say, wouldn't it be so great if in America we had the first woman uh, president? Wouldn't it be so great if in 2016 we brought in Hillary Clinton and she was the first woman president? No, actually, it'd be the judgment of God. Actually, if we put a woman president, we'd be getting exactly what we deserve. Because we've gotten away from the Bible. We've gotten away from the Word of God. We've gotten away from the Bible. And today, men actually think it's good for a woman to lead them. You know, but you ask friends, do you make your kids go to church? No, they do what they want. Oh, so they run the show? No, I don't, I don't spread my children. I just let them do what they want. Oh, really? Well, the Bible says that the man ought to be the authority. 
The Bible says that the man ought to leave the home. And we understand, I'm not going to go through it, we understand the Bible says a man should love his wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. And a man that truly loves his wife in the same way that love that he got Christ, he's not going to take advantage of her. He's not going to abuse her. We understand that. We're not talking about that. But you got to understand this. When a woman is in authority, it is the judgment of God. And you want to know whose fault it is? It's the man's fault. For not standing up and saying, you know what, I'm not going to let you push me around. I'm not going to let you uh, take control of the situation. I am in charge. God gave me that role. At this house, I'm going to run the show. Not the kids, not the wife. That's how it should be. I can't believe you're saying that. Somebody needs to say it. Our, our society is destroyed. The family unit is almost non-existent in America today. And it's because of the lack of preaching... That comes from the Bible. Well, Deborah was a prophetess. Yeah, but there are multiple statements of Scripture that say it was wrong what she was doing. And it was actually the judgment of God. Go back to Judges. Real quickly, Judges. Look at verse 3. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. And 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? Does that sound like a, like a society? And that's an economy that's thriving. That's a, that's a society with all sorts of liberty. No, that's not a good society. You know why they had a woman in charge? Because God was judging them because of their sins. You know why if, if one day in America we have a woman in charge, it'll be the judgment of God upon this country. We saw Deborah the prophetess. We saw Deborah the judge. Was it good that she was a judge? It's never good for a woman to usurp authority over a man. It's never good for one. Hey, no, we're not going to go to the next Joyce Meyer. Oh, Joyce Meyer is coming to our arena. I'm not going to go listen to her. She has nothing to teach me. If she wants to teach me 2 Timothy chapter 2, then maybe I'll go listen to that. Because I'm really interested to see what she... I'm really interested to see how, what she says when, it, when the Bible says that, that she's supposed to be the husband of one wife. But it's wrong. And today, well, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says, but we think, no, no, no. It's not, that's what the Bible says, but. It's, that's what the Bible says, period. Amen. It's not, well, that's what the Bible says, but today, I said, no, no, it's what the Bible says. Do you believe it or not? Because what we need is to get back to the Word of God. Judges chapter number 4, we saw Deborah, the prophetess. Judges chapter number 4, we saw Deborah, the judge. But let's move off of that and let's get to Barak. Look at verse number 6. And she, talking about Deborah, sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him. Now, I don't think Deborah was all that bad. You know why? Because I think she realized that she's not supposed to be doing this. I think she realized this is not God's plan. God wants a man in charge. So what does she do? She tries to get a man in charge. Look what she says. Look at verse 6. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoah, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, so here's what she says. Notice what she says. Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go, and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali, and of the children of Zebulun? Here's what she says. Uh, Luke verse 7, And I will draw unto thee the river of Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. So here's what Deborah says to, uh, to, to, to Barak. She says, Didn't God already say go? She said, Didn't God already tell you? Notice, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying go? You see that? So Didn't God already tell you? She's saying, Barak, I know that God told you that you're supposed to deliver these people. What are you doing? Saying, I'm not supposed to be running the show. You are. I'm not supposed to be judging the people. You are. She said, didn't God already tell you to go? What's your problem, Barak? That's how most marriages in America are today. Christian marriages? Wives trying to tell her husband, didn't God already tell you you're supposed to leave? What? Look at verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 8. Look at what Barak, look at what Barak answers. And Barak said unto her, Notice his answer. If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. So Barak said, so the woman says to the man, didn't God already tell you to go? You're supposed to fight the battle. God already told you to give you victory. And he says, well, will you go with me? Talking to a woman, he's supposed to be the, the general of the army here. Now, now listen to me. I, and, and, and there's a lot of Bible preachers that will disagree with what I'm about to say. I do not necessarily think that Barak was wrong 
for asking Deborah to go with him. Because Barak was obviously not that mature. I mean, God wasn't speaking to him, but he was, she was, he was speaking to Deborah. So I don't think it was wrong that he asked if I will go with me. I think the last part of the statement is what was wrong. Look what he said, verse 8. And Barak said unto her, If thou will go with me, okay, I don't think there's nothing wrong with asking someone to go with you. I ask you, you know, I understand trying to get all the help you can get. But I think here's where Barak made his mistake. Look what he says. If thou will go with me, then I will go. But, notice what he says, But if thou will not go with me, then I will not go. Here's what Barak should have said. I'm going to go, but Deborah, I'd like you to go with me. I don't think there would be anything wrong with that. But here's the problem. Barak said, I'll go if you go, but if you don't go, he said, I will not go. Now here's what you understand. Whenever you put anyone in your life in a position where you say, I'll serve God if you serve God, but if you don't serve God, I won't serve God, that's a bad position to be in. Because who's Barak worshipping then? Is it about God, Barak, or is it about Deborah? Is, is, it, is, is it about God? Well, I'll go if she goes. And if she won't go, then I will not go. That's not a good thing, Barak. Here, now, here's what you understand. Deborah said, didn't God already say go? Barak said, yeah, that's what God said. But I'm only going to go if you go. And if you don't go, I will not go. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter who goes with you. If God said go, you better go. The whole world doesn't want to go, you go. I think Barak made his mistake when he put his trust in Deborah. He said, Deborah, if you don't go, I'm not going to go. That's a wrong... God told you to go, Barak. God gave you a clear commandment, Barak. There was a lapse. There was a lack in faith there. Where Barak said, I'm not going to go unless Deborah goes with me. Now look, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking for help. Hey, listen, Deborah, I'm going to go whether you go or not. But would you go with me? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But when he said, I'm going to go, I'd like you to go with me, and if you don't go, I will not go, you just put Deborah over God. Because now it's up to Deborah whether you go. should be up to God whether you go. You understand what I'm saying? Look at verse 9. Then she said, okay, here's what she said. I will surely go with you. She said, "I'll, I'll go. Notwithstanding, okay, the word notwithstanding means nevertheless or although. She says, I'm sure that I'll go with thee, notwithstanding. She says, although, the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So Deborah says, didn't God already say go? Barak says, yeah, but I'm not going to go if you're not going to go. He says, I "I will not go. And then Deborah says, okay, Barak, here's what you got to say. God's going to teach you a lesson, Barak. See, Barak right now, he thinks what he needs is Deborah. What he doesn't realize is that what he needs is God. And Deborah says, Barak, I'll go. But God's going to teach you a lesson, Barak. Because you think you need me, and you don't realize you need God. And what God's going to do is He's going to allow you to win, but He's going to sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. A woman is going to win the battle, Barak, and God's going to show you that you don't need God, that you don't need me, God doesn't need you, we need God. That's what we need. You understand? He says God can do it through you, God can do it through a woman, God can do it through whoever He chooses. You need God, not me. That's what Deborah's trying to say, though. Now, when Deborah said... God, the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Barak probably assumed that Deborah was speaking about herself. Okay? But as the story goes on, that will become very clear. Here's what you understand. Barak had a lack of faith. Now again, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking for help. But when you say, I will not serve, there are people who say, if my, if my husband died, I, I would not serve God then you're not really serving God anyway. You're serving your husband. There are people who say, well, my wife died, I, I would stop serving God. You're not really serving God. You're serving your wife. Well, if, 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 if this doesn't happen, then, then I'll stop serving God. If so and so doesn't then I'll stop. No, no, no. It's not about, if you don't go, I will not go. Hey, you should go anyway. Barak had a lack 
had a lapse in faith and Deborah said, God's going to teach you a lesson and God's going to teach you that all you need is God and God's going to deliver this battle to the hand of a woman to show you that God can use anyone. All you need, Barak, is God. Now, before we beat up on Barak too much, okay, we talked about Barak's lack of faith, but let's talk about Barak's great faith because I, I do think Barak had some faith here. Again, this would be something that I think a lot of Bible teachers would disagree with, but let me show let me show you something and just stick with me. Look at verse ten, okay? Deborah rebukes Barak. You're not supposed to have this lack of faith. You should go with me or not. God's going to deliver the the sister into the hand of a woman. Look at verse ten, okay? I think Barak got the message. Because for the rest of the chapter, Barak acts like a man. Look what he does. Look at verse 10. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. And he, talking about Barak, went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And Deborah went up with him. Notice, Deborah went with him. He didn't go with her. Do you see that? Look at verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent under the plain of Zeanaim, which is Kadesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak, not Deborah, that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Harosheth of the Gentiles unto the river Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, so notice, Deborah said unto Barak, Ah! For this is the day which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? Now notice the different response from Barak. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor. Do you see that? No arguing. No, well, what about this? He just, she says, look, God's up to go and he went. I, I honestly think Barak fixed his attitude. And for the rest of the chapter, he showed great faith. Look, look, at, verse, look at verse 14. Look at the last part of verse 14. And 10,000 men after him. Verse 15. And the Lord discomfited. I like that word. Discomfited. They were comfortable. Now they're not comfortable. And the Lord discomfited Sisera. And all his chariots. And all his hosts. And the edge of the sword before Barak. Before Barak? Not Deborah. Barak. So Sisera lighted down off his chariot. And fled away on his feet. But Barak. Not Deborah. Pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Herosheth of the Gentiles, and all the hosts of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. They killed every single man except one. We'll talk about it. I mean, I, Deborah, I mean, Barak just got in gear. He went out to battle. Because here's, go, go to the book of Hebrews, real quickly. Hebrews, chapter number 11. I grew up in church in it. My whole life I heard stories and preaching out of Deborah and, and Barak. And everyone always beat up on, on Barak. Uh, he was a wimp and he was limp-wristed. And, look, he had a lapse in faith. You and I have lapse in faith. He, he said, well, I'm not going to go, Deborah, unless you go. He shouldn't have said that. His attitude should have been, I'll go wherever God sends me to go. Whether you go with me or not, I'll go. He should have been leading, not her. But I think Barak got in gear, and I think he was actually a pretty great warrior. And let me prove to you from the Bible. Are you there in Hebrews chapter number 11? Hebrews chapter number 11 is known as the, people call it the Hall of Faith. You know why they call it the Hall of Faith? Because it's all about the great works of faith that people did. Look at verse 32. Hebrews eleven thirty-two. The writer here goes through all these great stories of faith. Look at verse, uh, verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of... So he says, look, I don't have time to tell you about these great men of faith. But let me mention them real quickly. He says, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell, the, to tell of Gideon. That's one of the judges. We'll talk, to him, we'll talk about him soon. And of Barak. Do you see that? Now hold on. How did Barak get in the hall of faith? I think he was a great man of faith. Look, it took a lot of faith to take 10,000 soldiers and go fight a battle. Do you understand? The Bible says they had 900 chariots of iron. Do you understand that? The Bible doesn't tell us how many army people they had, but if they had 900 chariots of iron, they probably had more than 10,000 soldiers. I mean, could you imagine going down with a sword and a shield on your feet to go fight against a horse and a chariot? That takes faith. 
That landed Barak in this hall of faith. Look what it says. Look what it says. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah. By the way, those are four judges from the book of Judges. There are twelve judges in the book of Judges. And God said, I want you to pick four out and put them in the hall of faith. And Barak was one of them. So I think we ought to be careful when we start beating up on Barak too much and saying, well, he didn't have any faith. He had a lapse in faith, like you and I have a lapse in faith. But he, you know, it's better to have a lapse in faith and get, your, uh, get yourself in check and go do what God said than to not do it. And he ended up having, he has this little embarrassment in Judges chapter 4, but he ended up getting in the Hall of Faith. I'd like my name to be in the Hall of Faith. Look at verse... Go back to Judges chapter 4, look at verse 17. We're finishing up right here. You need to understand this. There is a theme throughout the book of Judges of God using the weak things. you remember that? Remember he used uh, Ehud's left hand? Remember he used an ox goad? Okay? Look at verse 17. Judges chapter 4, verse 17. How be it? Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael. And we'll talk more about Jael next week. The wife of Heber the Kenite. And there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. So here's what you're going to say. Sisera gets off the chariot. God delivered and... I, I, I want to show it to you now, but we'll wait till we get to chapter 5. God actually tells us in chapter 5 how he just completely took the chariots. And the 900 chariots, he took them out of commission. And he explains that to us in chapter 5. But Sisera's on this chariot. God decommissions the chariot. Sisera jumps off the chariot, is now running for his life on foot. Look at 17, I'll be a Sisera, fled away. That's leadership, you know what I mean? On his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So he goes to Jael's house because he thinks, you know, there's going to be safety there. Verse 18, and Jael went out, went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle, and she said unto her, and, and he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk, and gave him drink, and covered him. Again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee, and say, Is there a man here that thou shalt say no? So he's instructing her. So she's hiding him. She takes him inside. She covers him with a mantle. He says to her, Hey, if anybody asks you if, if there's a guy here. Tell him no. He says, I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? She brings him a bottle of milk. Uh, she gives him some milk. Look at verse 21. Then J.L., Heber's wife, look what it says, took a nail of the tent and took a hammer in her hand and went softly. You see that word softly? Unto him. And smote the nail into his temples. And fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. So here's what he did. She went outside, took a nail that was holding down the tent, took a hammer, walked softly because he was sleeping. He could have woken up. This, this took some guts. And she took that hammer and she placed it on the temple of his head. The temple is, is this area of your head. It's that soft spot, not really protected by the... A skull, and she drove that nail into his head and killed him. And she literally won the battle for them because her captain was now dead. Here's what, here's what you got to understand 900 chariots of iron. God won the battle with a little woman, a nail, and a hammer. See, God, God can do whatever He wants. See, Barak, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I need Deborah to go with me. God says, you don't need Deborah, you need God. And God can use Deborah. God can use Barak. God can use Jael. God can use a hammer. He can use a nail. It doesn't matter. Well, they have 900. It doesn't matter what they have. With God on your side, it doesn't matter what they have. Look at verse 22. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. 
And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. In chapter number 5, they're singing a song about this great battle. And you know who they're praising? Not Barak. You know who they're praising? Jael. Why? Because, see, Barak could have had the honor. But when Barak said, you know what, I'm going to put Deborah over God in my life, and I'm going to say, if Deborah goes, I'll go, and if Deborah doesn't go, I won't go. God said, you know what, Barak, I was going to use you, but you want to put other people before me? You know, I'll just use someone else. You know, in our lives and your lives, we've got to realize, you start putting people before God, and you say, well, I'll do this if my wife says that's okay, and I'll do this if my husband says it's okay, and I'll serve God if my kid... Look, you start putting people before God, God says, you know what, thanks, but no thanks, I'll use someone else. Because God doesn't need to use you, God doesn't need to use me. We are allowed to use to be used of God. It is our privilege to be used of God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this story in the book of Judges. And Father, I ask that you would please help all of us to realize that God doesn't have to use us. God allows us to be used. When we go out soul winning, it is not that we gave God the privilege of using us, it's that God gave us the privilege of being used. Lord, help us to realize that it's not about us, it's about God. We don't get people saved because of our talent, because of our ability, because of anything we do. If people get saved, it's because God allowed us to be used. Father, help us to remember that. Help us to realize that. Help us to not put people in, in positions in our life where we'll say, well, if you don't do it, I won't. No. Help us to realize that even if the whole world doesn't go with me, I'll still follow. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.